Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 174 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today, I am delighted to introduce you to Nori, Rachel's sister. So Nori was introduced to me by a previous guest and good friend of mine now, Dixie, Parker's mom, whom you heard on a previous episode. Dixie thought that Nori would be a fantastic guest, and whoa, she is totally right. So I just want to mention this as a reminder to all of you that if you know someone that you think would be a great guest on the podcast that has a lot to offer and to teach people, please email me at marcyandandysmom.com and talk to that person. See if they might be willing to be on the podcast because we can learn so much from each other. And I really learn a lot from Nori today. And I know you will too. Thank you so much, Nori, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's really funny because I was just thinking a few weeks ago, I thought, you know, I haven't had a sibling on in a while. It might be nice to have a sibling on. And literally the next day, I hear from someone about you, about you wanting to come on and talk about your sister. I love it. It was meant to be. It was. It does feel like it was meant to be because she said you've been on another podcast, I think, before. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine had me on to talk about grief. And I'm actually on a podcast for our school. Oh, all right. You're professional then. (laughs) Five people listen to. Uh, Not really, but um, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and wanting to talk about your sister, Rachel. So why don't you start out by just telling us all about Rachel? Sure. Okay. So Rachel is four years younger than me. So I really don't remember my life without her. I don't have any memory. I have a bad memory kind of. So I don't remember a lot of childhood (laughs) stuff. Although some of that I think is being a mom with four kids now, my memory is like, you know, I'm very occupied with them. And I think sometimes I'll be at my parents' house or somewhere because I was born and raised in Greenville and I'll, I'll be somewhere and remember something all of a sudden, you know? Um, So maybe as I get older, some of that will come back, but yeah, I really, I don't remember my life without Rachel. She's four years younger and she was really different for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And for a long time growing up, I think I tried to mom her. uh, And (laughs) so we, we disagreed a lot, uh, while I was trying to boss her around, but, um, we were friends. I mean, uh, our family was really close growing up. Um, I had an older sister and older brother as well. And yeah, she was just always really friendly to people. She had tons of friends 
And I'm kind of the opposite. I have a harder time. <laughs> my husband's always telling me it's my face. I'm not approachable. <laughs> and Rachel <laughs> had just like the best smiley face. Uh-huh. And um, actually on, on her softball team, she, I think at one point had the nickname smiley. Some one of the dads called her that because she would just be so full of joy out there when she was playing. And I also played softball. Um, we, I think we only ended up playing on the same team over the years one time, but we always watched each other. We played the same position. We were both pitchers. And so we went to pitching lessons together and I was really different. I was very composed and like, didn't show any type of emotion and Rachel was just laughing. Like she would just be on the mound laughing. And, you know, that like drove me nuts. Cause I'm like, get serious, you know, but the thing is, is she was awesome. She was a really good player. She was just really different than me. And softball is what we really bonded over. We love the sport. Like I said, we both played the same position. Um, so that was our, our mutual love, but yeah, growing up, she just, was easy to make friends with. She always had tons of friends, always had tons of boys that were friends. She seemed like she just with ease would be around guys. Um, And they were always over at the house when in her high school years and they loved my parents. Um, Some of them would call my mom, like just to talk to my mom. (laughs) Really? Wow. Yeah. And and so like, she just had tons of friends and, um, was just a joy to be around. I think that's the best way to describe her is just full of joy. And um, she's really loyal and a good listener, I think is why people were attracted to her. Um, I remember being frustrated sometimes when I was in college, I would come home and she was in high school and she would like be hanging out with her friends and I'd be like, "Ugh, hang out with me. Yeah, I came <laughs> home. Yeah, I came home. I'm here, you know, and she would. But she just she's such a people person. And we, we both played softball and she played in college and I played in college. And then I coached a little bit in college. And she that's what she was doing um, when she passed away was coaching in college. But yeah, all those years growing up, it was just wonderful. I mean, having sisters who are best friends and now I have three daughters and a son, which is the same makeup of my family, which is neat. And it's just really sweet to get to watch their relationships form. And, you know, like we fought, I'm sure, but much more than that, we just enjoyed hanging out with each other. And with my mom, we were all the three girls were really close with her. Um, and then after college, yeah, I started having kids and Rachel really, after that became auntie Rachel. Yeah. So that's what we call her now is auntie Rachel. Uh, Cause that's who she was when she passed. And that's who she still is to my kids um, and my sister's kids. And so she just, she was such a good aunt. They loved auntie Rachel, <laughs> uh, just a thoughtful, like gift giver. She would always give them something really great on their birthday. She wanted to hold them. I have so many sweet pictures of her holding them, which I just treasure. Yeah. And she actually, the year she was, uh, the year she passed away, my son was born in the beginning of that year. So it's really a blessing for me to be able to say she held all of them and she knew all of you you know, there wasn't another kid that I had without her. She was really anti-Rachel to all of them. So yeah. And she was just good at 
having fun. She's a fun person, (laughs) which is good for me to be around because I tend to be a little too serious uh, sometimes. And she had a great relationship with my husband, who is also what I would classify as a fun person. (laughs) Funny how you marry, you know, someone with some opposite things going on. Uh, But he's just, yeah, he's, he's very Mr. Jokester. And Rachel just thought he was hilarious. And they just had some funny, sweet back and forths that I, I remember and really hold on to. Those are good memories. So yeah, that was Rachel. Yeah. Yeah. So there were four years between you and her. What about the older two? So my older sister, Mara is 18 months older than me. And Stefan, my, our, the eldest uh, brother is four years above me. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a big gap and then like almost no gap and then a bigger gap again. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it was, um, I would say, you know, there was a time probably in my twenties. And so my older sister would have been in her late twenties and Rachel in high school that we all just would have said our parents were our best friends. Yeah. They did not raise us. Like they were our best friends. They were our parents. But I think when you parent, well, by the grace of God, your kids grow up and become your friends. I think that makes for it to be really difficult when you lose an older child. And I've watched my parents, they lost a child, but they also lost a really dear friend. Yeah. At that point, she was 27. So um, that's something different. You know, all grief has these threads that are the same, and then they all have their unique differences too. But yeah, so we were, we were all really close and especially the girls with mom and Stefan, my brother with dad. Um, and that continues today with the exception of before Rachel died, a, a hard thing happened in our family and we don't have to get into it, but my older sister kind of walked out of our life with her kids. And so that was what we would call our first great grief mm-hmm. is, you know, she's still on earth, but we don't know her. And it feels very much like a loss. And that was really hard. And we struggled, still struggle through that. I haven't seen her or talked to her in six years. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a long story, but it has mental illness involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what we learned through that was just how faithful the Lord can be and was to us. And in some ways, I think it really prepared our hearts. We didn't know for what happened with Rachel. Yeah. Not that it made it any easier because it, it didn't, it, nothing, nothing makes that easier, you know, uh, losing someone you love. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that now about what happened to Rachel? I will. This, this part's hard um, because I was the person who got the phone call. Rachel was on her third coaching job. So, and I guess I'll say here, we both love softball and the, the goal of life was to coach in college together. I had been an assistant coach here in Greenville at Furman and she had been an assistant coach around a couple of schools and she was new to Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. She'd been there probably three months and she was really loving it. And the plan was I would go back to school and get my master's and one of us would get a coaching job and then hire the other. Okay. And we felt like we were kind of the ultimate coaching staff, not just because we played at a high level and enjoyed it and loved it, but because of our personalities. Mm-hmm. I, 
you know, just the opposing personalities actually worked really well together, I think. So that was really grief upon grief for me of, you know, losing a sister, but also losing this dream to be able to do something with her. But yeah, that, that morning I got a phone call and there were so many, I'm going to forget them all. I've written them down somewhere and maybe one day I'll put them in a book or something. But, um, there were so many small mercies of the Lord. Like my husband happened to be off work that day. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, we almost got in a fight about it the night before he said, why am I off work tomorrow? Why did, why did we ask for that? I said, I don't know. I don't remember. And I don't, I don't know, but he had asked for PTO and he happened to be off. And I got a phone call early in the morning and I didn't answer. I don't answer numbers that I don't know. And they left a message and I thought, well, that's weird. And I don't usually check messages right away, but I just had this feeling like I should check that. And it was the head coach who was also a young, it was her first coaching job. And uh, we still are in contact with her and we love her. Her name's Mac. And she, I had never met her or talked to her, but she left me a voicemail. Hey, I, I only have your phone number. This is Mac from Union University. I coach with your sister. She didn't come to a meeting this morning. We went to her apartment and found her unresponsive. And I remember my brain trying to find like a definition unresponsive. What does that mean? What what is, is, you know, all these things and just this feeling is shock wash over me. And I called the number immediately and she said, Hey, Nori, how are you? And I said, no, just tell me what it is. And she said what she had said on the phone. And then she said, and we went into her apartment and she was in the bed and she was not alive. And so I kind of, I mean, I remember all of this. I remember where I was and I said, okay, you are this person and you're talking about my sister, say her name. And you're saying she's dead, say that. And she said it all back to me. And then I weirdly said, and this is not a joke. Like, you know, when you're trying to process and you're like, well, this is not computing. Yeah. Right. I wanted to make it real as quickly as I could. So I could deal with it. But you know what, if you've ever experienced that kind of trauma, you can't rush the process of making it real as much as you want to, or try to. And she said it. And I just remember when she said it back to me, I made this awful noise that I hope I never make again in my life. Just a kind of, I don't know, a crying out for my soul probably. (laughs) And I kind of fell to the ground on the phone and my husband wasn't home. He had gone somewhere. And I remember just saying, God have mercy. And I remembered, you know, I, I said, okay. And she, and she reminded me, you are the only number I have. And so I hung up the phone and I knew I had to call. Yeah. Yep. I had to call my dad. I totally get that because, you know, when we had our accident, mine was the phone that they found in the car. Eric's, they didn't, couldn't find it and um yeah and I did I was exactly like you every I had to call several people and I and my words every time were we've been in an accident Andy's dead because I thought 
if I say it enough, maybe I'll yes. believe it. And it seems weird to people that I had to say Andy's dead. And it probably seemed weird to her that you have to say the words back to me, Rachel's dead. But it's right. because it's not like the, the not alive and unresponsive and all of that. It makes you think then maybe that it's something else, right? Right. right. Yeah, yes. like Andy's best friend's mom heard from someone else, not me. And for a long time, you know, they said it in such a way that made her think that he might actually still be alive. Okay. And like, I didn't want there to be any doubt of that. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I remember calling my dad and I told him and I, t- I said to him, where is mom? And he said, she's at a Bible study. And I said, do not call her. Go tell her in person. Do not tell her over the phone. And he said, okay. And I remember my brother, my brother calling me. And and he said, are you okay? I'm coming right now. I said, yeah, Charlie's coming too, my husband. And then I remember asking him, Stefan, is this real? And he kind of had a worried voice because, you know, he hadn't received all of that. Right. You know, you the way I did. Yeah. And he just, he was like, yeah, Nori, it's real. And I remember several times throughout the day asking Charlie and asking another friend to tell me that this was real. It was just so hard. So shocking, so out of order to my brain that I didn't understand it. And another hard part about that day, Rachel, you know, Union is, I think it's like eight hours from here. So my parents, uh, my dad goes and he tells my mom and, and she's in complete utter shock, basically. And they left, they immediately, they just knew they had to go. And I understand that. I know that they needed to probably go and see, um, not that they, they actually didn't see Rachel, but they needed to go and confirm. And I remember thinking the whole time they're driving, oh, maybe they have the wrong person. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, still trying to grasp all of it. That was really hard to not see them. They are my best friends, but just in God's really great mercy and kindness about 17 years before this, some, some people we grew up with some dear childhood friends lost their son who was I think 18 in a car wreck and they are my parents best friends and it was almost to the day that Rachel died actually I think his is October 28th and that man who held me when I was a baby and is very much like a father to me who also knew this kind of sorrow because he had lost his son that many years ago he was the first one other than my husband and my brother to show up and I'll pretty much never forget the hug he gave me just kind of crashed into me and held me and it was just so kind yeah and I knew he knew you know you know when you hug people who know (laughs) it makes such a difference that he kind of held my sorrow in that moment especially because my my parents had to go and just I'll forever be so grateful to him and his showing up for me. And I also remember about that day that one of the first things I told my husband is I want to sit outside. I want to feel the sun on my skin. 
And I think that was because I wanted to know that God was still there yeah. or, or feel some type of warmth of like life because it was so dark and terrible and hard to understand. And I just wanted to feel the sunshine on my skin and be reminded that somehow in some way the Lord was still there and present and lots of people came over and I'm sure I don't remember all of them. And I, I really don't remember their words. What I remember the most is the hugs or the tears yeah. that people cried with me. You know, it's funny you talk about that, that man, because it makes me think about my, my best friend, Michelle, she lost both of her sisters, one when she was a little girl and one when she was an adult. And so her dad lost two of his three daughters. And that first Christmas, so Andy died in August, the first Christmas we went to her house mm-hmm. um, because we couldn't have Christmas yeah. at our house. And so we went there and her dad had come. He lives out in Maryland, but he had come for Christmas. And I still remember him holding me and the way he held me that Christmas Eve, it was like nobody else could, right? I mean, right. And it was just different because, I mean, it was months after, but it's the first yeah. time I'd seen him. And you could just tell from the way he looked at me and the way he held me that he knew it. He yes. knew it in that very way. And it was just, it was, it was what I needed that night. Yeah. I needed to be with people who really knew it. Yes. Yeah. I had that same experience at Rachel's funeral and there were many people there who were so kind and sweet, but a friend drove probably six hours from Jacksonville, North Carolina to be here. And she lost her son and actually her son's service. I I had gone to years before he was four years old. And I remember her hug as well of just and her daughter's hug who was really probably only 12 at the time but just the sweetness and the yeah the knowing it's like your body can communicate that um, through a hug and it just it meant so very much and it always means something when people will sit and cry or hug you and that kind of thing but yeah there's something different when it's coming from someone that you know does understand yeah grief. so yeah that was that was the worst day and I'll say one more thing about that day that night was probably nine o'clock lots of people had already come everyone was done coming and someone knocked on the door and we Charlie opened it and there were probably only three people in the world that I would have cared to see at that moment <laughs> One being my parents, two being that friend I was just talking about who'd lost a son. And this, the third people would be these very people who it was. And it was an old pastor friend of mine who had mentored me and Charlie and just loved us really well. And his wife, who I love, immediately goes, I'm so sorry. I told him not to come, (laughs) but he insisted that we show up this late. And I just started crying because I was so thankful that it was them. Uh, He has been through a lot in his life. And I knew that he knew uh, he knows grief and sorrow. Anyway, we sat down and he told me, this will be the hardest night of your life. 
it will feel so very dark and it will be hard. Yeah. And I was so glad someone told me that I love when people tell me the truth. Yeah. That's the kind of person I am. I do not want to hear, you know, it's going to be okay. If it's not going to be okay, <laughs> I don't want to hear any of that. Right. And I was just so thankful that he said that because he was right. That was a terrible, dark, dark night. And it was difficult. And I was glad that someone had told me it would be that way. And that I had some type of expectation. I think expectations are everything in life and learning how to manage them is just a part of maturing. And it was nice that he told me that truth and just kind that he showed up so late knowing that we would want to see him. And we very much wanted to see both of them. So yeah, that was the dark, a dark, dark day. And certainly there's been dark days since losing Rachel, but that day was just really, it's still surreal in some ways. Yeah. Especially when it's so unexpected. Like, yeah. Yeah. Did you find out what happened to her? Oh, right. Um, Rachel died in her sleep and it took the autopsy took forever. I mean, I don't, I think it was like 16 weeks or something. It's a long time. And she had an enlarged heart, but they don't know why it, it was not for any reason. And actually I had been texting. I mean, we text and talked every day. Uh, I had been texting Rachel that very night before she passed away. Uh, she called me and I think I had a kid sleeping on me. So I didn't answer, but I texted her and said, what's up? And I, of course, had these all saved and have read them many times. And she was like, nothing. I pitched to the girls today. It was so fun. Uh, the girls on her team. Yeah. And she had had like this wonderful softball day, yeah, which is just so sweet that, that, that she got to have that. And we were talking about a friend of ours who was trying out for the Olympic team and sending each other funny memes and gifts. And, and then she went to sleep and very kindly, some doctor friends of ours who, who we knew really well and still know they volunteered to read the autopsy. I think someone had said to my mom, do not read the autopsy. A parent should not do that. Yep. It won't be something you want to read. So they read it for us. And they just said that, just so you know, it's not like she woke up scared or struggled or anything. She would have been asleep and her heart stopped. And she, that's it. And so for us, I think some people have said, oh, it's so difficult because you don't know why. I actually, man... I'm fine with it. I think there are so many more questions when there's an accident or there's a drunk driver or certainly if there's suicide, you know, I have heard and sat through so many stories from moms and siblings of just terrible things and to go to sleep (laughs) and to wake up, you know, we're Christians and we believe that she just woke up with Christ extending his hand and taking her into heaven. I mean, I'm, that doesn't, not a lot of people get to do that. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. There was no suffering, no fear. She just would have gone to sleep after having this great day of softball, something she loved and then woke up in the presence of Jesus. So yeah, I think a lot of people have thought it must be hard not to know, but I, I, we do know she had an enlarged heart. She had had a physical recently. Like I said, she'd pitched that day. She was healthy. Yeah. Just one of those things. So 
Yeah. Well, and the reason that you are on the podcast today is because of my friend Dixie, and you know Dixie, and wow, Parker's story is similar in that way, isn't right. it? I mean, he, yeah. didn't, he didn't die in his sleep, but he was just a healthy kid who just died of some unknown heart condition. Right. There's nothing anyone could have known or done or anything. And like Rachel, he, Parker died, you know, playing, he was actually playing the sport he loves so much. And I think that there's just something really sweet in that, that he got to be doing the thing Mm -hmm. that he loved with people. And they went to the same high school, right? They did. Yep. They both went to TR high school. Yep. He was a bit younger, I think, than Rachel, but man, just, and actually they're buried in the same cemetery. So anytime we go and visit auntie Rachel, the girls are like, where's that boy who played baseball? Let's go see him. And we always try to take a picture and send it to Dixie. So yeah, sweet too. It's funny how that feels good in some ways, but it does. Right. I know. Yeah, it is. It's, you don't want anyone else to be in this grief club but then when they are, you're so thankful that they are yeah. um, and that your stories encourage each other in some ways and bring comfort weirdly in some ways, or just to know that someone else, yeah, they understand and are listening to you uh, and not trying to, I think for me, I, I love to talk to other people about grief, because if you are someone who's grieving, you know, that there's nothing to fix it, right? <laughs> It's a bad thing that will always be bad. It will always be sad. Nothing's going to change that. And if you're outside of grief and, and you haven't entered into it, you still have this hope that like the world is, is we can fix it. We can, it can be happy. And it's like, no, it can be both. It's, there's still so much joy in our lives. I mean, I have four kids. How could there not be joy? But, and my mom and I talk about this a lot. There's no time now where we have joy and we don't have sorrow. Like there used to be a time when it was just joy and that was great. But now every time there's joy, there's also this undercurrent of sorrow because someone's missing from it and we want to share it with them. And I think other grieving people really get that. And then there's people who want to fix that. And it's not really something to be fixed. It's something just to learn. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you are right. And that is why I think being on podcasts and doing some of these different things, talking to people can be so helpful. You know, I'm in a Bible study now and my Bible study leader asked me, she said, if we have something in the spring, do you think you would be able to talk to us about grief? And I was like, I guess I mean, I don't I, I didn't think about that in that way. But I I think she's right in that people just don't know. And yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like, especially when I've been in some Christian circles, like my Bible study, they are all convinced that they can try to fix me <laughs> some way. Right. Right. And it's very right. sweet of them to try to fix me, but they're not going to. And maybe talking to them about not needing to try to do yeah. that. Right. Would be really helpful because it actually drives people away. It's driven me Absolutely. away from yeah. groups like that in the past. If they're Absolutely. like just trying to fix me, then like I don't want to be there because 
you can't fix this. And now it just makes me feel guilty and just like I don't really even want to be there. Right. Yeah. I think people, and that's just their insecurity of they don't know what to do with it. Right. So they're, they, they think, well, let me help. And actually the help would be just listening, just saying, I'm sorry, tear. I mean, I feel like I'm the, one of the greatest ministries is prayer, just praying for people, not even in their presence, but just praying for them. And then also tears, like just crying with them. I mean, when I'm telling someone Rachel's story and I see them getting teary eyed, man, that really moves my heart of like, oh, they're, they kind of get it a little bit. Well, then you must be happy because I'm, you're tearing me up like crazy today. (laughs) Well, and I think, and that's the, you know, we live in a society of like, for a while, I think it was real stoic. Yeah. And then there was like this shift toward people film themselves, you know, crying on Instagram and it seems very contrived. And so there's, we just, I don't know that we have figured out how to do emotions right, you know, real just, and I think, I think with that, it's just when something's sad, be sad. When something's happy, be happy. And I think, I, I, I think having kids through this process, like has really helped. I remember being on the phone that day and I remember exactly where I was in the driveway. And I think I was talking to Charlie. It was very early on. Like I had not, it had only been probably 20 minutes. And one of my kids came on the porch and was like having a meltdown because they wanted a cookie. (laughs) And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like they still are going to have their lot. Like I still have to do this thing where they live and grow up and are like totally self-absorbed because they're children for goodness sake. And they don't get it. I mean, that kid was, you know, she, she was like three years old when it happened. And I, it was almost like, I remember almost laughing at the ridiculousness of like, oh, their life still is going to have to go on. And I think that you have to, and it's something you learn over time. It wasn't like I did it the first week, but you know, a month after Rachel died was uh, our daughter, Lucy Ruth is named after Rachel Ruth, my sister. Um, and it was her birthday, probably a, a little over a month after Rachel passed away. And I remember thinking I wasn't going to be happy on her birthday. Cause that wouldn't like be appropriate. And then I thought that is the stupidest thing, you know, to try to like plan for Rachel would want me to celebrate Lucy Ruth. I mean, she was named after Auntie Rachel. She's like her in some ways she's full of joy what am I doing trying to like suppress you know trying to manage grief and emotions I think I just need to allow them to happen and if if we have a happy moment great and if tears follow it fine like that is all okay and I think that's where people if you haven't lived it, you might be confused at like, oh, the Mueller's and the Glazebrooks seem to be happy and now they're crying and now they're laughing yeah. and now they're crying again. And it's like, yeah, because maybe that's more real than what everyone else is trying to do. That is more real. So, yeah. I love that. I love that being with other grieving people and knowing that you can do that really, really yeah. easily because yeah. there are times when you feel like you just can't. Like I... I have to pick one and stick with it or else everyone right. looks at you weird or uh, yeah. Otherwise other people are going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've, 
Yeah. I think my mom has felt that a lot in her, in her groups. I think because of my personality, I have just come to be like, man, if you don't like crying, probably don't hang out with me, (laughs) but also we're going to laugh because I love people who are fun and funny, but I'm also going to cry. And, you know, and if that means it's weird for you, I'm okay, I guess move on. You know, that's kind of my, how I am. And thankfully I have some really, I have had a couple really great friends. One being my husband. I mean, he's my best friend. And I remember the day after Rachel died, I said to Charlie, is it okay if I'm sad for the rest of my life? And he said, of course it is. You're going to be. And I remember just being so thankful that he could get that. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I think I'm going to be. And so far that's true. I am sad, but I'm not only sad. Right. Um, And I think that's what other people need to understand is like, man, you can have sorrow and still live. You can have sorrow and still have joy. Um, It's not, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And you don't have to try to completely uproot sorrow from your life. It's not really, I mean, part of me feels like it would be dishonoring to Rachel if I wasn't sorrowful because I love her so much. And that's the cost of love is you might be sorry sorrowful the rest of your life. I don't know if you feel that way. But... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree with you. I don't think we went into when it was that Rachel died, but Rachel died in fall of 2018, just after my Andy did. So we're really at the exact same point yes. in our grief. So if our if listeners were kind right. of wondering, that's where we're at, at just a little over four years. So Which I would say is a really, I mean, there's no good time for death, but that time, you know, it happened. And then it's like holidays. Yeah. <laughs> that was brutal. Yeah. And I feel like even the first year I was in such a fog that I didn't even realize the holiday thing until like maybe the third year. And then I'm like, oh, this is not great. I mean, I just go from, you know, we call her, her the day she died, her glory day, the day she entered glory. So we go from her glory day and then I have a birthday and then it's Thanksgiving and then it's Christmas and then it's New Year's and then Rachel's birthday is in January. So it's like this, ah, you know, yeah. six months. Of well, and down. it's funny that you say that because I though in some ways have thought a little bit the opposite because I think, oh, yeah. I, you know, Andy died in late summer everyone's still giving me Christmas for sure. Like it's not been that many months. They don't expect me to do anything. I don't have to. The expectations are low. And I sort of feel for people who maybe lost their child in the springtime. Yeah, because, that is true. Because now sometimes people give this thing like, well, if it's been at least six months, you should be starting to get a little bit better. So I, I feel like in some ways those women, because I've known a lot of those women, their families end up expecting a little bit more out of them than they should. I mean, it's still the first Christmas and it's still so, so, so early. And honestly, I would say it's early for the first couple of years, but in other people's minds, it's it's not as early. And so they feel like they should do better or do more, you know? Yeah. And I just... I don't have a lot of time for that. I just want to tell people, man, Rachel was alive for 27 years of my life. That's how long I loved her. So I I get to grieve her that long. Like that's what I would say, you know, 27, 
years of, you know, if in 27 years you think I should get over it, then you can come talk to me. But <laughs> I mean, I think I really do. Cause it's like, it, that was all love. It's what it was and friendship for that long. And I think this whole expectation thing, I think the only people who expect things, it, it must be people who have not grieved or who have not dealt with their grief yeah. or attempted to deal with grief. Otherwise they would get it. And I remember the day after I woke up and I said to Charlie, oh, this is why people have struggle with addiction. Like from that point on, I was like, I will never judge someone for, you know, and I'm not saying all people are addicted over grief, but man, I could see how you could go down that path really quickly because it, it's so dark and it's just, you just, there is a part of you that has died and there's a part of you that wants to die. And I remember Charlie, you know, maybe the second year being like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just, I think that there's a way to, to just, I don't know, live like you're just trying to go through, you're just trying to get through the next thing. And I think that's okay for a while. It's, it's taking a really short view of each day. Yeah. And some people might think, well, yeah, for six months, you can do that. Yeah. Well, no, you do it until you don't need to do it anymore. Right. Um, and, it, and it gets you through. And I, I would say my grief, because I have these kids who I love dearly, but who just interrupt everything, <laughs> including grief. So, you know, you're like having a moment and then a kid's like, hey, I need you. And you have to kind of just, okay, I have to set that aside and I have to go do this mom thing. And I can come back to that when I come back to it. So in that sense, you know, I don't feel like my mom and I have grieved necessarily at the same pace and that's okay. And I think, I think that's okay. And you just have to to realize what you're capable of doing and be okay with the pace it goes at and know that it's going to be longer than you think it should, than anyone thinks it should yeah. be. And that you think it should be yourself. And that's also okay. Yeah. 27 years of her life. I I'm fine with grieving for 27 years. Yeah. And I'm going to grieve longer than 14. So there you go. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And that, and, and grief is, I have a lot of memories of Rachel and just growing up with her and being with her and, I think there's moms who lose kids really young who don't have as many, but they have a lot of future things that they were planning on and they're grieving all that. That's hard. Yeah. And that's its own difficulty. Like I'm sure every time you're at a graduation or have to be around, you know, that kind of thing, it's just so difficult. I mean, we went to what would have been Andy's graduation this year. You know, that was hard. That was really I'm sure. And it's hard to watch Peter do all these things that Andy never got to do because now Peter's older than he was. Right. Right. And I'm sure it's hard for Peter to do them and, and want to be with his brother. And I think for people who have a sibling who passes away, it's interesting. I think so much of grief is just the relationship. What was your relate? Cause I, the, I've known people who've lost a sibling they don't really get it with me and Rachel. And then there's some who haven't lost a sibling. And this is probably my experience more often. There are a few really close families I know. And those girls hug me like they get it. But they haven't lost their sisters. Their sisters are on earth, but they love them 
dearly. And I think because they understand a sibling relationship that is really close, they hug me with such sorrow because they understand what it would mean if they lost their sibling. So I think grief is so much the relationship that you have some with someone. And I think sibling grief is you're losing a, a best friend who you really never knew your life without. Yeah, You always knew them. They were in your house. Y'all might've slept in the same bed. You certainly, you know, fought and had all these interactions with them. And it's really hard. And I'm sure this is true for parents. There's just like life with Rachel. And then, okay, now there's the life without. It's just two lives. It very much feels like, okay, that life was with her and that whole time. And now from October 24th, 2018, moving forward is life without her. And I like the one with her better, (laughs) but I still have to live in the one without her. Um, And so as much as we can in our family, we try to remember her as painful as that is. There's also a part of it. That's like, that's still real to me. She still loves me. I still love her. My kids love auntie Rachel and I have to be okay with the pain that comes with still loving someone who's not there. Um, And that's really hard to do. That is really hard to do. But it's really helpful when people do it with you. So I'm thankful for all the people who are willing to ask me, how, how's your grief lately? How do you miss Rachel lately? I think those are really good questions. And then there's just people who the first year I got a Christmas ornament from someone who I had not spoken to in probably 10 years. They were a college friend. They had a sister that they were very close to and they knew Rachel and out of the blue at Christmas, the first year I get an ornament that has her initials on it and the years. And it was just so sweet that they would send something out of the blue, but they understood the relationship because they had the same one with their sister. And I think if you're someone who knows what that feels like, and you know, someone who's lost someone, you can really provide them with support like other people can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because listening to you makes me think of of my friend, Michelle, again, who the one I told you lost both of her sisters. And so we also lost both of our moms. So our moms died and we didn't know each other. I, I met Michelle. I moved to town shortly after her mom died, but we talked a lot about our moms and about grieving and got very close and and she says she will tell people that I'm like her sister now because she lost both of her sisters and so I was like her sister yeah and then to watch me lose Andy it's just been so painful for her yeah to watch me go through that because I was I'm like a little bit like her surrogate sister it's who it's yeah. her substitute for the two that she didn't have anymore and then to have this happen to me has been really hard on her you know to watch that for sure I have felt that with I didn't grow up with like a best friend because Mara and Rachel my sisters were my best friends so I just never had a really close girlfriend until my husband's best friend who kind of drives me nuts, but I love him, but he married a girl unexpectedly for me because of how he is, who is my best friend. I love her dearly. She is wonderful. And she has very much become like a sister to me. 
And I think I remember her saying in the first year, oh yeah, you're really different now, but it's okay because I had changed. And she said, it's been really hard to watch you change, but it's okay. I love you. And I think I read somewhere once that it's the people who are willing to change by your loss also, yeah, because it will change you. It just, it will one way or the other, whether you face it or you don't face it, you will be changed and you don't have a choice, but they actually have a choice to either say, I'm willing to be changed also with you, like your friend has, and like my friend has, and go through the loss and be different because of your loss. Yeah. And that to me is like, oh, man, yeah. I hope everyone has someone who is that good of a friend. I know I do. And I'm so thankful for that. But other people aren't, right? I mean, I've ha- right. I have other very, very close friends that yeah. aren't anymore. And and we right. just grew apart. Yep. And that happened to me. And it makes me very, very sad, but yeah. I don't I don't blame her for that. I mean, I'm not the same. Right. Right. You're not. Yeah. And I think that happened to me as well with at least one other friend of like, oh yeah, we are I could see it happening, growing apart. But then I just thought, well, but I'm not going back. <laughs> I I yeah. can't become the person I used to be it's that person's gone. That person was alive with Rachel and I'm becoming this different changed person. And if I lose people over that, then yeah, it's sad, but thankfully there've been people that I've gained. I'm really glad for that. So, yeah. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about your parents grief too, and grieving with them and a little bit differently from them. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Sure. I think, well, first of all, if because of the relationship I had with my parents, one of the hardest parts of grief has been watching them grieve and suffer. I know how much they love their children because I'm one of them. And I just, man, it's been really, really hard to watch them suffer. And yet I want to be around them, (laughs) Uh, even though it's really hard. Like I remember in the first year, Every time I went to their house, I was, I was sad leaving their house. It was just this overwhelming weeping and Charlie would just hold my hand. And I think it's because I could, I just knew how much they loved Rachel because I know their love for me. Um, And it was hard to witness my parents suffering like that. And knowing that, you know, there's not, I, I knew there's nothing I can do or say except cry with them and be with them. But I think that the the distinction in our grief sometimes is that people's response to me, uh, usually when they saw me would be, how are your parents? Which I think is a good question is fine. But if you never get around in the conversation to also, how are you, then it it feels insensitive. I don't think they're trying to be insensitive. No, they're not. But I just, I think they're trying to be sensitive. They're just, they just don't know. I think One thing people can know is that the person in front of you who's grieving is the one you can talk to about grieving. And because there was sometimes a part of me that would be frustrated because I knew that, you know, in some ways, some people had really not talked to and not um, supported my parents, but they would ask me. And I wanted to tell them, oh, you know, you should go ask them because they're thinking 
they're feeling isolation and you're thinking you're doing a good job because you're using me as this, you know, messenger. It's not good. Uh, they, I don't even want to tell them you asked because it's just going to upset them that you didn't ask them. And I think that happens a lot I, from what I've heard to, to siblings. And I also think there's just not like I talked about before, not an understanding, you know, I can be somewhere sometimes and mention Rachel's death and no one really, they're just like, well, it was your sister because maybe they don't have a sister. Maybe they have a sister. They're not very close to I mean, I think as I've grown up, I've always been surprised at like, oh, you're not best friends with your siblings. That doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So people just don't really get it. I think the shock of it also is something that people may not understand of like, it was totally unexpected. Yeah. That, and you know, that it's that kind of, it's hard to translate that to people. You can't really, they just don't, they're like, oh, okay. She died. Oh, how long ago was it? Okay. And move on. Yep. That's not really what I want to (laughs) do. I'm not trying to move on. I, I want to, I don't know. I want Rachel to always be a part of our life and our conversation and our stories. And I think people can get uncomfortable with that. And I just like, I don't have time for that. (laughs) Rachel wouldn't say that if she were here, if it had been reversed, she would be more gracious than me, but (laughs) I tend to not be as gracious and it's okay. I think the Lord is teaching me how to, how to tell people, Hey, that's actually not a great way to approach someone. And there've definitely been some good books I've read, but I think most of it is just, it's just learning through experience of, of people responding in these strange ways. And maybe I would have done that before. I don't know. Yeah. So there's that I have to remember is like, well, I only know cause I know yeah. and you can't know right? what you don't know. Yeah. You can't know what you don't. Although I do love it when people will say something and then say, I'm not sure if that was the right thing to say, or will, will kind of give you a little bit of permission to maybe tweak it a little, because now I'm better at doing that. Like I'll have somebody say something to me and then say, or text it and say, I'm not sure if that, that was the right thing to say. And I will respond back. You know what? It probably wasn't quite right. Right. This is maybe something you could do instead. And when they when they say it in that way, when they're gracious enough to put like a, like almost a disclaimer to their statement, yeah, yeah. It, it makes me realize that they're willing to learn and, yes. and I can, I can tweak it a little bit and then feel like I'm helping somebody else down the road because when this happens again, because, you know, we all grieve. Right. And so this person that just said this to me is going to deal with people who are grieving for the rest of their life. Absolutely. And so now if I taught them a little bit, maybe next time they will say it in the way that's a little bit better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I, it's that willingness to learn, right? It's those people that I'm like, oh yeah, we can talk. I'm fine with that. It's the people who, you know, the worst thing is saying nothing. Yeah because you're too afraid of getting it wrong. And I think people just have to know that like, I'm sorry are really good words. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. That's not, I'm sorry. And all things work together for the glory of God. No, they don't need to hear that. They can, they can read that later. You can pray that for them later. Just I'm sorry is good enough, but I think people, yeah, they, the ones 
who I love to talk to like you are ones who are, who give you that kind of permission of like, they're saying when they say that, I don't know if that was the right thing. What they're saying is, you know, the right thing. So could you, could you tell me if that wasn't it? You know, they're admitting, you know, something I don't know. And I'm not saying every person I meet needs to do that, but certainly if you want to know about my grief, then you should probably admit that. And that's why grievers, I think, love to talk to each other is because we admit, I know about this kind of grief and and this particular grief in my life. And I know, you know, something let's talk and let's learn about it from each other and be comforted and encouraged. And if other people who aren't grieving would have the humility probably to just say, Hey, you guys know something we don't, could you tell us about it, man? Yeah. The world would be different. It would be different. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Nori, for coming on and talking about Rachel. I have really enjoyed our conversation and I know everyone else will learn so much too. Thank you so much. I've loved seeing uh, Andy's room back there. It's beautiful. I, I didn't know he was a baseball player. Yeah. Yep. This is new for me. You know, I just started recording in Andy's room. So I love it. Um, Very sweet. Yeah. It's only the second one here, but it feels right. It feels right. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.